what's up everybody welcome back to on the mix i'm your host lindsay and today i thought i would look into the interesting life of singer rapper lauren hill now i happen to really love lauren hill and i think that she is one of the best female rappers if not one of the best rappers of all time she's 100 percent up there with some of the greatest and it's really interesting to me that of her own right she only released one album under her name and then she subsequently kind of disappeared and it's really fascinating to me to learn some of her background in her history how the fujis came together and where she came from and what her story is i find her to be really really fascinating so I hope that you guys will find her story fascinating just as much as me. Let's just jump right on into who Lauren Hill is in her early days before she was to start her music career. So Lauren Hill was born on May 26, 1975 in Newark, New Jersey. Lauren has said of her family, there were so many records, so much music constantly being played. My mother played the piano, my father sang, and we were always surrounded by music. Her father sang in local nightclubs and at weddings as well. And while growing up, she frequently listened to artists like Curtis Mayfield, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, and Gladys Knight. So she was all about that kind of blue soul R&B kind of flavor of music. She recalled playing Marvin Gaye's What's Going On repeatedly until she fell asleep to it as a child. She then attended Columbia High School, where she was a member of the track team cheerleading squad and was a classmate with actor Zach Braff. And Zach Braff has been notably one of the main stars in the TV show Scrubs. If you're familiar with that show, it's pretty funny. So Lauren took violin lessons, she went to a dance class, and she founded the school's gospel choir as well. School officials recognized her as a leader among the student body. She later recalled her education as, I had a love for, I don't know if it was necessarily for academics, more than it just was for achieving, period. If it was academics, if it was sports, if it was music, if it was dance, whatever it was. I was always driven to do a lot in whatever field or whatever area I was focusing on at the moment. So this would now set her up nicely into forming the Fugees, and this is her first endeavor into music. And the musical influences that I kind of laid out just a moment ago really do help to solidify like how she takes those inspirations from like the soul R&B funk singers and she morphs that into her own flow because she bridges the gap and she blends rapping and singing together to create a really chill, easygoing, unique flow and that's what's so unique about her. So while she was a freshman in high school, she was approached by a student and I apologize, I'm probably going to butcher his name. He she was Praz. His nickname is Praz Mikel. And he approached her about creating a music group. Praz and Lauren began performing together under the name Translator Crew initially. And they came up with this name because they wanted to rhyme in different languages at first. Eventually, they had another female singer come on, and she was soon replaced by Praz's cousin, Wyclef Jean. Um, so this is where the early formation of the Fugees was to then come about. The group began performing in local showcases and high school talent shows. 
Lauren was initially only a singer, but then learned to rap as well. Instead of modeling herself on female rappers already in the game, like Salt and Peppa and MC Light, she actually preferred to model her rapping style off of male rappers like Ice Cube and developed her flow from listening to them in particular. In 1993, after some gigs and recorded demos, the trio signed to Rough House Records, which was a label under Columbia Records, and they then changed the group name to Fuji's, which was purposely taken from a word often used derogatorily to refer to Haitian Americans, aka refugees, which is interesting. I had no idea about that. So not only at this time was she starting up her music career with the Fugees, she was also doing really small minor acting roles as well. And while she was growing up, she also took acting lessons in Manhattan. She began her acting career in 1991 when she appeared with Wyclef in Club 12, which was MC Light's off-Broadway hip-hop rendering of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. So very fascinating. While the play wasn't really a success, an agent in the crowd noticed her, and then she would start getting bigger roles. For example, she began appearing on the ever-famous soap opera As the World Turns. My mom used to love that show. I would come home from school almost every single day and without fail, As the World Turns would be on the TV. She also co-starred alongside Whoopi Goldberg in the 1993 film Sister Act 2, in that film as well, she also performed songs like His Eyes on the Sparrow and Joyful, Joyful. Director Bill Duke for the film credited Loring with improvising a rap in a scene in the film. He said none of that was scripted. That was all Lauren. She was amazing. So that's just a little bit more background information on her aspirations in life. I mean, her main one was music, but she also had a brief acting career as well. So now back onto the Fugees. The Fugees released its first album called Blunted on Reality under the guidance of Cool and the Gang's producer Ronald Bell. The Fugees wrote and recorded the album in 1992 at the House of Music Studios in West Orange, New Jersey. However, due to a dispute with its record label, the album was not released until February 1st, 1994. The Fugees have said that they allowed the producers to have too much control over the album's content and form, which is why it got delayed by a couple of years. Although the album didn't contain as many lyrics with a lot of political messages in it, there were still some political intentions with the album. And that's kind of the thing with the Fugees. They kind of, for the most part, really put forward and produced um, lyrical content that was kind of focused on political ideations. Blunted on Reality birthed the singles Boof Baff, Nappy Heads, and Vocab, but gained little mainstream attention. The album's most successful single was Nappy Heads, which peaked at number 49 on the Billboard Hot 100, which isn't too bad, but still, for a debut album, I would say it did relatively respectable. The score, their second album, is where they would gain notoriety. It absolutely just blew everything out of the water. It did such a great job. It was released in February 1996. The score became one of the biggest hits of 1996 and one of the best-selling hip-hop albums of all time. 
The Fuji's first gained attention for its covers with the Fuji's version of No Woman No Cry by Bob Marley and probably their most popular song ever, Killing Me Softly. So that was first recorded in 1971 by Lori Lieberman and then it was remade in 73 by Roberta Flack. So absolutely amazing. Like Killing Me Softly is truly one of my favorite songs especially from the Fugees. It's just so good. Every time I have to do karaoke or something, I always pick that one. It's just so, so good. It's a great rendition of the tune. And also, it makes me think about the film About a Boy with Hugh Grant, and I forget what his name is, the boy that's in the film. Uh, Nicholas Holt, is that his name? I believe so. Um, That's a great film if you haven't seen it. It's a really funny film. Um, That song always makes me think of that film. So yeah, just a little side note there. Um, So yeah, the score, absolutely killer album. It totally blew everything out of the water. The album also included a cover of the Delphonics' Ready or Not, Here I Come. And that was also a massive hit on their album as well. Weirdly enough, this song featured a prominent sample of an Enya song. And I can't even begin to even try to pronounce this. Badisha? Badisha? Ugh, I don't know. Sorry. So they used an Enya sample without Enya's permission. I don't know how that even happened, but they did it anyway. And this prompted a lawsuit resulting in a settlement between Enya's people and the Fugees where Enya was given credit and royalties for her sample in the song Ready or Not. And the group members have continuously thanked and praised Enya for her massive understanding of the situation. I mean, how does that go unnoticed where you use a prominent sample And Enya was huge at the time. I don't know how they went about taking a sample from her and then not crediting her. I don't know what went wrong there. But anyway, lawsuit happened. Enya won that. And she has been given the credit and royalties for her sample in that tune. The Fugees won two Grammy Awards with the score in 1997 for Best Rap Album. And Killing Me Softly won a Grammy for Best R&B Vocal Performance by a Duo or Group. Go Fuji's, but unfortunately that's all the Fuji's would release because then things came to a halt with Lauren Hill. So Lauren at the time was very young. Mind you, she was about 21 and she was still living with her parents at home when the Fuji's and her acting career was still going on. She was very young, okay? And she enrolled in Columbia University during this period and she actually considered majoring in history as she became a sophomore, but she left college about a year of total studies when sales of the score went into the millions. I just want to make you guys aware of how young of a prodigy she is. Like, she's only 21 at this time, and she's in her early mid-20s by the time her massively popular solo album came out. And it just goes to show, like, she might be very young, but she has a wide breadth of talent. It's really amazing to see this. In 1997, the Fuji split to work on solo projects, which Wyclef later blamed on his turbulent relationship with Lauren and the fact that he married his wife while still involved with Lauren. So those were kind of the reasons why the Fuji's disbanded. Wyclef and Lauren were in a relationship and Wyclef was married while he was with Lauren Hill. Lauren subsequently as well, towards the end of their relationship, was also seeing one of Bob Marley's sons, Rowan Marley. So Lauren was 
with this guy and Wyclef was with this woman and they were together in a weird relationship and then obviously it became too stressful so they broke up and then they subsequently broke up the Fugees because of that. Very strange but in the summer of 96 Lauren had met Rowan Marley who again is a son of Bob Marley and the two became an item and they started dating and Lauren would eventually have a lot of children with Rowan. This was when she had not come out with any any kind of material for her solo album. She was pregnant with her first child, and she said that it was around the time that Lauren gave birth to her first child that she suffered from a case of writer's block. And uh, she stated that her pregnancy helped her to open up creatively. Interestingly enough, I mean, there's a lot on her first album that kind of references her pregnancy and her first child. It's very, very personal for her, the album, and so... I can absolutely see how pregnancy and giving birth would help her to kind of open up creatively and and look at things and look at writing a bit differently compared to when she was really young and not have as much life experience. But now that she is a mother, you know, now she has more to write about. Um, so she says this about the situation. When some women are pregnant, their hair and their nails grow. But for me, it was my mind and ability to create. I had the desire to write in a capacity that I hadn't done in a while. I don't know if it's a hormonal or emotional thing. I was very in touch with my feelings at the time. And she said of the early writing process, every time I got hurt, every time I was disappointed, every time I learned, I just wrote a song. And I think that's all you can do, to be fair. And that's why her music is so real. Every time she had a real experience, she would write it and turn it into a song. So now we're getting into her immensely popular, iconic solo album. She started recording The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill from late 1997 through June 1998 at Tough Gong Studios in Jamaica. And this was Rowan Marley's little studio in Jamaica that he had built for Lauryn Hill to make her album. And it was kind of a fun family affair from what I remember uh, reading that a lot of the Marley clan would come over and they would listen to Lauren recording the album. It was like a fun kind of family get together in the recording studio in Jamaica. So that's fun. The title of her album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, was actually inspired by the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, which came out in 1933 by Carter G. Woodson. And she also was inspired by The Education of Sonny Carson. Um, so that's kind of where she got the inspiration for the title and something that I didn't even recognize until I looked at it a couple days ago, but the album covers a picture of a school desk with a pencil at the top. I was like, whoa, it all ties together with school and education, miseducation. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Totally makes sense. I just listen. I'm slow to learn sometimes, but when I learn it's a big moment. Okay. I was like, whoa, fascinating. Um, so yeah, I love that whole kind of theme of the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Very interesting. The album featured contributions from D'Angelo, Carlos Santana, Mary J. Blige, and John Legend. At the time, John Legend was unknown, but he played a small part in her album, and that is so interesting to me. Wyclef initially did not support her recording a solo album. Why? Not so sure. Probably because she would be talking about him in a couple of songs or in a few instances and he wasn't a fan 
of maybe what she was going to say. But eventually, he actually offered his production help for her album, but she ended up turning him down. So, several songs on her album concerned her frustration with the Fugees, like I Used to Love Him dealt with the breakup of her relationship with Wyclef, and other songs such as To Zion spoke on her decision to have her first baby, even though, strangely enough, like seriously, many people in her life at the time encouraged her to have an abortion so it wouldn't interfere with her rising career, which is the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. That's so beyond stupid. 100%. Like, why would you take that horrible stance? It makes no sense. You look like an asshole, first of all. <laughs> horrible. Um, but yeah, so to Zion is actually for her first child. She said that she wanted to, quote, write songs that lyrically move me and have the integrity of reggae and the knock of hip hop and the instrumentation of classic soul. Um, and obviously the production on the album was intended to make the music sound raw and not computer aided because at this time in the late 90s, that kind of digital music thing was becoming popular, ever popular. Like, it went from analog then to kind of slowly morphing into digital with the help of programs like Ableton or maybe even they used GarageBand. I know I used GarageBand for a time. I don't know how popular using GarageBand was in the actual studios, but Ableton, for example, is a prime one that they started using at the time in the late 90s. So she didn't want to have that on her album. She wanted it to be 100% raw, honest, real analog, basically. Lauren said that she didn't want to come out with a Fuji's type of sound, but create something that was uniquely and very clearly a Lauren Hill album, which I can respect. She wanted it to be her 100% of the way through, unmistakable. She also said that she didn't intend for the album sound to be commercially appealing. Weird. But I like it, though. She didn't intend for the album to be a hit. She didn't intend that she was going into the studio to make a hit song after song after song after song. She just simply went in there and did her thing, and she wasn't considering even wanting the album to be commercially successful. Uh, and this is what she had to say about it. There's too much pressure to have hits these days. Artists are watching Billboard instead of exploring themselves. Look at someone like Aretha Franklin. She didn't hit with her first album, but she was able to grow up and find herself. I wanted to make honest music. I don't like things to be too perfect or too polished. People may criticize me for that, but I grew up listening to Al Green and Sam Cooke. When they hit a high note, you actually felt it. So her album released on August the 25th, 1998. The album received amazingly positive reviews from music critics, and it was the most acclaimed album of the year. Critics praised the album's blending of R&B, doo-wop, pop, hip-hop, and reggae all together into one. And that's also what I like about this album. I re-listened to it a couple of days ago so that I can get in the proper headspace for this episode. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is so much in this album that is just screaming reggae. It screams doo-wop. It screams R&B and soul. She has an amazingly chill, easygoing, but like real and honest flow, almost as if she's like directly talking to you as if you were a friend. 
most people that are coming out with like rap songs or rap albums, they come at you hard and aggressively as if to say like, back up, I'm the coolest. I got this, that, and the third, you know, but Lauren Hill is coming through as, hey, I'm just rapping about my everyday life. Critics also praised its honest representation of a woman's life and relationships. Entertainment Weekly called it an album of often astonishing power, strength, and feeling, and praised her for easily flowing from singing to rapping, evoking the past while forging a future of her own. It sold nearly 423,000 copies in its first week and topped the Billboard 200 for four weeks and the Billboard R&B album chart for six weeks. It then went on to sell 10 million copies in the U.S. and 20 million copies worldwide. So yeah, she did very well for herself here. I mean, she takes home all of the Grammy Awards, by the way, like she makes absolute history. During 98 and 99, she earned $25 million from record sales and touring. The first single released from the album was Doo-Wop That Thing, which I think out of all the songs on that album, Doo-Wop That Thing is my favorite, number one. Doo-Wop That Thing is one of the best rap tunes of all time in the 90s. I can compare it with like Nas and what Nas put out with Illmatic and like what Coolio and LL Cool J and Ice Cube did and um, Biggie Smalls and Tupac, like all of them. Like she is up there 100%. And also, you know, some people might not like artists like Aaliyah or, you know, Ashanti or whatever, um, Monica or Brandy, but you know, I love those girls. I grew up with them and I love that soul R&B flavor. I just love it so much. And she also reigns kind of on top of them, but she is intertwined with them as well. And I just, I love the female empowerment that she gives in her music and she always has. And doo-wop that thing. I mean, she does speak to both men and women saying, hey, you better watch out. Some girls, some guys, they're only about that one thing. I just, I don't know. I love it. So Doo-Wop That Thing debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. And other charted singles from the album were X Factor. Yes, X Factor. That's another great one. Everything is Everything. That's another great tune. And To Zion. Yeah. So in 1999, at the end of the 90s, Lauren became the first woman to be nominated at the Grammy Awards in 10 categories in a single year. Lauren Hill made absolute history. The nominations included her rendition of Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, and she also won a Grammy for writing and producing the song A Rose Is Still A Rose, which became a late in-career hit for Aretha Franklin. So listen, Lauren's out here writing songs for Aretha Franklin. Um, she also wrote one for Whitney Houston. Like, come on, she's coming through with the bops, with the tunes, with the fire. She's coming through, okay? During this Grammy Award ceremony, she broke another record by becoming the first woman to win five times in one night. Listen to this. She took home the awards for Album of the Year, Best R&B Album, Best R&B Song, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, and Best New Artist. During the acceptance speech, she said, This is crazy. This is hip-hop. Yes, Lauren Hill. Yes, get it. Get all of the awards. I love it. 
Also to be of note, in May 1999, she became the youngest woman ever named in Ebony's magazine for their 100 most influential black Americans list. And that's just, again, she's just making all of the history. I respect her so much. So there's good things happening, but then simultaneously a bit of a bad thing happened as well, sadly. Um, In November of 98, the group of musicians that she hired to help her on the miseducation of Lauren Hill filed a 50-page lawsuit against her, her management, and the record label, claiming that Lauren used their production skills and their songs and instrumentation, right? Um, And they failed to properly credit them for the work that they did on the album. The musicians claimed to be the primary songwriters on two tracks and major contributions on several other tracks. But engineer Gordon Williams for the album, he clapped back and he described the album as, quote, a powerfully personal effort by Hill. And he also said, quote, it was definitely her vision. So there's a bit of a discrepancy going on here, but she was taken to court yet again for her music. So this is the second lawsuit that she has been a part of. So the company of these musicians, right, is called Newark. So she responded that Newark had been appropriately credited and now we're seeking to take advantage of her success. Okay, you could make that statement. Sure. Newark requested partial writing credits on most of the tracks on the album, as well as monetary reimbursement. Um, So after many delays in this lawsuit, depositions took place where during the latter part of the 2000s, everything was happening in court and the suit was eventually settled out of court in February 2001 with Lauren Hill paying Newark a reported $5 million in reimbursement fees. Crazy. So she loses yet again another lawsuit. A friend of Lauren Hill later said of the lawsuit that, quote, that was the beginning of a chain effect that would turn everything a little crazy. And yeah, so now we're getting into her self-imposed exile where she was not having any of this. She didn't want to be in the public and she wanted to take a major step back in literally everything that she would have attained if she just didn't want any part of it. She didn't want any part of the mainstream corporate stuff with music, film, literally nothing. She wanted to unplug, basically. She said, all right, I'm done here. Unplug and then never come back. So Lauren had a couple of things going on that she was going to be part of in terms of film. Lauren actually began writing a screenplay about the life of Barb Marley, and she was going to play the role of his wife, Rita, weirdly enough, considering she was married to one of Bob's sons in real life. But she was writing a screenplay for Bob Marley, and she also began producing a romantic comedy called Sauce, and also she accepted a starring role in the film's adaptation of Toni Morrison's novel Beloved. She later dropped out of both of these projects due to her second pregnancy. But also, she turned down a lot of stuff, a lot of films that would have made her probably, in her own right, a really good actress. She reportedly turned down acting in the remake for A Star is Born, which they were going to do at this time, but later, I think as we all know, A Star is Born was remade in 2018 with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, so that was the role that she was going to take on. Can you imagine? 
Um, she also turned down the role to be in Dreamgirls, which later her role, her initial role, was later played by Beyonce. She also was going to be in Charlie's Angels, the one with um, Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu. Her part went to Lucy Liu at the end of the day. She also turned down roles for The Born Identity, The Mexican, The Matrix Reloaded, and The Matrix Revolutions. Mind-blowing stuff here. I mean, literally, she had so many amazing films in her lap, and she's like, nope, I'm pulling out of everything. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm going home. Peace out. It's like, okay, you know, she dropped out in the year 2000, you know, because the pressures of fame were starting to affect her in a negative way. She said that she disliked not being able to go out of her house to do simple errands without having to worry about her physical appearance and things like that. Fair enough. She apparently fired her management team and began attending Bible study classes five days a week. And she also stopped doing interviews and watching TV and listening to music. Like she unplugged out of everything and she mostly turned to religion. She started associating with a spiritual advisor named Brother Anthony. However, a close friend of Lauren believed that this Brother Anthony was more of a cult leader than a spiritual advisor. So people thought that Lauren was kind of under the guise of a cult, a religious cult. And that's kind of why she was retreating from the public eye. To say whether or whether or not he is a cult leader, I mean, objection hearsay. Um, but we don't really know. But that's what some people have been claiming. So obviously she would not be in a self-imposed exile for a long period of time. She would be, though, for for a few years, but she wouldn't remain in an exile all of her career. She eventually was to come out and do little things along the way. Um, but she later described this period of her life by saying this. People need to understand that the Lauren Hill they were exposed to in the beginning was all that was allowed in that arena at the time. I had to step away when I realized that for the sake of the machine, I was being way too compromised. I felt uncomfortable about having to smile in someone's face when I really didn't like them or even know them well enough to like them. For two or three years, I was away from all social interaction. It was a very introspective time because I had to confront my fears and master every demonic thought about inferiority, about insecurity, or the fear of being black, young, and gifted in this Western culture. Fair enough to Lauren Hill. These are all valid points that she's making. So in July of 2001, while she was pregnant with her third child, she revealed new material to a small crowd for a rare MTV Unplugged show that she was to do. And then this concert got turned into an album. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's theoretically another album that she created, but like it's not on the same level as Miseducation, obviously. So this was released in May of 2002 and featured only her singing and playing an acoustic guitar. Some people really were not a fan of this new material. They knew that she was in this self-imposed exile and she, you know, was coming out here to share this new material and people were thinking she's crazy. She's having a public breakdown, like this is not the Lauren Hill we all knew and loved. Rolling Stone themselves called the album a public breakdown, and the Los Angeles Times said the album's title opened Lauren up for jokes that she had become unhinged. NME also wrote that Unplugged 2.0 is a sparse and often grueling listen, but there is enough genius 
shading these rough sketches to suggest that all might not yet be lost. I mean, people really were thinking this is it for Lauren Hill, she's done. But in an interesting turn of events, with these mixed reviews and no radio airplay at all for this album, it debuted at number three on the Billboard 200, and the album was later certified platinum. And it has since received positive praise from music critics, so. So that basically, in a nutshell, is Lauren Hill's music career. I just kind of now wanted to talk about her legacy because I really do think a lot of people need to give it up to Lauren Hill and respect her for the amazing master that she is with R&B music and rap music and how she seamlessly blends together singing and spoken word and R&B and rap um, and soul together to create something very unique and very different and unlike anything that I think we've ever heard. And to be fair, I don't think anybody since then has really shown to be like a Lauren Hill 2.0. Like there's no one that I can think of in the modern music scene that we're now living in that resembles Lauren Hill in any kind of way. They can't even come close, in my opinion. So I think that in itself really speaks to how vastly talented and important and integral she is. She's a linchpin, really, in this whole music career that she's created for herself, but also in the mainstream music world as a whole. Like, we need Lauren Hill. And I think a lot of people either undermine her work or they don't even know her work. And I think we need to give her more props, honestly. I mean, she is so talented. Her flows are so unique. We need to give it up to her. So I just wanted to mention some of the accolades that she's done and some of her music peers uh, revering her and giving her a lot of positive praise. So Lauren is widely considered to be one of the greatest rappers of all time and has often been called the greatest female rapper, period, point blank, period. Thank you. Okay. With her solo music and work with the Fugees, she popularized the blending of rapping and singing, also known as melodic rap. Billboard said in an article about Lauren that her early success was considered to be a breakthrough for female rappers. Author Nelson George noted that the presence of women is increasing. The Lauren Hill effect is going to be very profound. And her friend Missy Elliott also added that women are taking a stand and trying to get their foot in everything. Once the doors open for one, it's open for the next woman. And yeah, that's an aspect too. Lauren being an obviously a woman in the rap game is also an added factor for this because I think we know mostly a lot of male rappers that have been mostly pushed forward into what's popular, but we don't really sit back to consider, well, who are the female voices of the genre and are we acknowledging their work as well and what their legacy has? Do we look at them? And that's why I brought in the examples earlier of like Brandy and Ashanti and Aaliyah, for example. Aaliyah, I mean, hello. Say what you want about Aaliyah if you're not really a fan of her or you don't like her music or whatever. But Aaliyah is probably as close as we're going to get to what Lauren Hill ever did. She's amazing. Like Aaliyah in her own right coming out with the flows too. TLC is another example. TLC, yes, absolutely TLC just came to my mind. So again, I mean, we have to consider the foothold that Lauren Hill had not only in the rap game, but with women rappers as well. Lauren has won numerous awards throughout her career, including the Grammy Awards that I mentioned earlier, okay? She also won five MTV Video Music Awards 
She won four NAACP Image Awards, four Guinness World Records, and three American Music Awards. And as recently as the year 2021, she was among the inaugural nominees for the Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame, and she was inducted this year, in the year 2022. I mean, she's a force to be reckoned with. So if for some reason you have overlooked Lauren Hill or you haven't listened to the music that she's put out, whether it be with the Fugees or her own album, please, please, I beg of you, please, please give her a listen. Please listen to it. Honest to God, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill is one of the best rap albums of all time. It's a really great summer album, to be honest, as well, because it blends Things like R&B and reggae, which is just really nice and summery. Like, I love it. I love the whole vibe. I love the soul aspect of it. I just am such a big fan of Lauryn Hill. Can you tell? (laughs) Can you tell that I'm a big Lauryn Hill fan? Can you tell? But thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode today about Lauryn Hill. I hope that you enjoyed and I hope that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. Please do her a favor and listen to her music. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. In fact, your mind will be blown. That is a guarantee. I hope you guys have an awesome day and I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.